everyone. My name is Melissa. If you are new here, I am one of the worship leaders here, and occasionally they let me preach, um, which I always am so thrilled to do, to be with you and to share with you in this way. And so this morning, I'm very excited to talk and share with you what God has laid on my heart for us today. Um, If you do not have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand. We also have some sermon notes around, and the ushers will get you one. Just raise your hand. And we're going to be out of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And if you're using the Bibles we provide, it's on page 76. We are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we have been talking about kind of preaching through that because the Lord's Prayer is so important. And today our phrase is going to be, your kingdom come. We've already talked about our Father, and Pastor Nate, last week, he talked about holy is your name, or hallowed be your name, and this week, we're going to talk about let your kingdom come. I have an assistant here today. He's going to help me here for a second. So, I want you all to think about, there you go, I want you all to think about what comes to mind when you think of king or kingdom. What do you think about? It's a little bit Interesting for those of us who live in the United States, right? A lot of times I think of a fairy tale. I think of a fairy tale. I think of like a prince. I think of God. You think of God? You're getting to my point a little soon, but that's good. Thank you. Um, We think of a fairy tale, right? Like he's going to be, you know, super charming, of course, and always makes good decisions. Definitely good looking, who knows how to treat his queen, right? Like that's sort of like the fairy tale image of a king. We also might think about some of the evil kings of the past, right? Like Louis XIV, who's like, you know. And King George, he was really bad, right? That's like kind of how America got started. We were like, yeah, we're done with him. And... um, And then, of course, King Henry VIII, who, like, killed his wife, and I mean, it was just a mess, right? So we kind of have this mixed bag of thoughts about a king. Uh, Today, we have a very adorable king, in my view. So anyway, thank you for your help, Bubby. All right, see ya. King Jude. So we kind of have a lot of different things that we think about when we think about a king. And it is the idea of a kingdom is a bit foreign to us as an American because we, we have an administration, right? We don't really think in terms of kingdom. And I think that probably is helpful in some ways to us when we think about God's kingdom. And it might actually be set us back a little bit, but I don't think it's anything we can't overcome this morning because the reality is, is that God's kingdom is so different from an earthly kingdom, whether that's an administration or some, an actual monarch that we typically think of when we think of a kingdom. So, again, we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and we've been talking about how the Lord's Prayer is a summary of how Christians live. And so today, as we discuss the, king, the kingdom, I'm going to talk about a few different things, about the how, the what, the when, the where, and all that of the kingdom, but then we're going to kind of bring it down in the context of prayer and how we're going to live our lives. Uh, The kingdom of God was the central message in the ministry of Jesus Christ, while what the the message that Jesus preached while he was here on earth. And in Matthew 4:17, it says this: from then on, Jesus began to preach. And the then on is that he was he had time in the wilderness. 
He was baptized. And then from there on, when he began his preaching ministry, this is the first thing he said. Repent of your sins. This is Matthew 4, 17. And turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right out the gate, he is talking about the kingdom. And the, it's difficult to wrap our minds around because the kingdom of God is such an expansive topic, and we tend to hear about God's kingdom like bit by bit. We get a little bit here, we get a little bit here. It's touched on in that sermon. We had this class one day, some kid dressed up as a king, and a, you know the, the teacher in your Sunday school class uses an illustration. We get it in bits. So hopefully today I'm going to be giving you a broad overview, and it, I pray that it will fuel not only your prayers, but the way you live. And when you pray, let your kingdom come. There's fuel to that. So why don't we start at the beginning. What is the kingdom of God? Or sometimes what is referred to as the kingdom of heaven. So simply put, it is the rule and reign of God. And while I was studying, I came across one of my favorite definitions for the kingdom of God. And Jeremy Treat says it this way. He says, it's God's reign through God's people, over God's place. That's what the kingdom is. That's his. And I would add, or more accurately, probably N.T. Wright would add, that the kingdom was taught or preached and embodied by Christ. So that's what it is, and this is sort of how it's revealed to us. It's preached and embodied by Jesus Christ. And we'll continue to kind of unpack these ideas as we go along. Because Christ, through his preaching, was going to contrast godly kingdoms over earth, earthly kingdoms. And he was always talking about it. I counted something like 13 parables where he said, and the kingdom of God is like. And that wasn't even other times where he was talking about it in a more literal sense. This was just his examples. And some of the things that he said was that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Or it's like yeast worked through dough. Or it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And I love this because Jesus was defining his kingdom as not something that was ultra-visible. Earthly kingdoms, if anything, there is great effort put toward being grander than you are. In some cases, kings will try to be taller, look, appear taller than they are, richer than they are, right? More powerful than they are. But God's kingdom's a little different. It's, it's more visceral. It's something that's deeper and inside. Sometimes it's like a seed that's hidden, right? Jesus used all these metaphors to try to explain what the kingdom of his God, what the kingdom of God was. And even though it's sort of hidden, sometimes people even refer to the kingdom as the invisible kingdom. God's kingdom is invisible. But it impacts everything. It changes everything. So that's one of the ways or some of the ways that Jesus preached or taught the kingdom. And he also embodied it by his actions, right? He loved his enemies, he healed the sick. He didn't just love them. He blessed them. He sought their good, his enemies. I mean, that's like crazy, right? That's, that's remarkable. He forgave sin. He associated with the outcasts and the marginalized and tried to lift their station, right, in life, lift their situation in life. 
And he would ultimately embody the kingdom through the ultimate act of sacrificial love by dying on a cross. And then his victorious resurrection would also embody this idea of the kingdom because our king did not stay dead, right? He is victorious forevermore and living. So that's kind of an idea, a synopsis of what. Now let's talk about the win, the win of the kingdom. Is it now? Is it in the future? The basic answer to that question is is that it's both. Um, We live in this space where the kingdom is already but not yet, at least not fully yet. Jesus announced the kingdom, and when he said it, he said, for it is already among you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom kingdom of heaven is not yet fully realized. So let me explain it this way. So Jesus came to earth, and he brought the kingdom with him. And through the work that he did on the cross, right, through the resurrection, The evil one was defeated, but he's not yet destroyed. There's this language all through the New Testament that speaks to the fact that we are at war with the evil one. The evil one has a kingdom too, okay? And its purpose is to separate us from God. That's the purpose of the evil kingdom, right? And this is the battle that still rages. And that's why we say already, but not yet, because Jesus is victorious. He has defeated the evil one, but he has not yet destroyed the evil one. So we live right in this little gap of time and of the kingdom where the war still rages, the battle still rages. And that's the tension that we live in. And you actually did a whole series on this several years ago. And it's an excellent, and there's a book as well, and I hope we have some of those. It's called Kingdom Come. Um, If you want more information on this, it kind of outlines that further. But this would be This is such an important understanding that the evil one is defeated yet not destroyed, and that's why we have suffering. I mean, that's why we experience that sense of war, that sense of tension. And it's in this gap that we, as subjects of the kingdom, that we are invited to to participate in bringing the kingdom into this realm, into the spaces and places that we live right now. Because remember, the kingdom is God's reign through God's people. That's us. That's you. That's me. And Christ enables us as we have received his kingdom, right? As we, meaning we have received his lordship over our lives. We have declared, we live, God, you are king. You are lord of my life. And as we do that, the very spirit of God enables us to live out the essence of the kingdom, to, like Christ, that we could preach it and that we would embody it. So when is the kingdom? Well, it was, it is, and evermore shall be, forever and ever, amen, world without end. That is when the kingdom is. And we are living in a a very special place right now, in time, where we can trust that God has defeated the enemy and we can hope for his, for his destruction when that time will come. And he will make all things new at that time. And that is a huge hope we have. So let's talk about where is the kingdom. That's the what. That's the when. Let's talk about where. The simple answer is potentially everywhere, and yet it's not in a specific place. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 17, 24, he said, 
You won't be able to say, oh, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And this was definitely out of the box for the Jewish believers, because the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to be a king like David, victorious with palaces and, and, and an army, right? He was going to be all these things. And so I can imagine them saying, what do you mean it's not going to be here? It's going to be in Jerusalem. We're gonna, you're going to take over. We're going to take it all back, and we're going to move on with our lives, right? That was it. But Jesus, again, was contrasting earthly kingdoms over over his kingdom, right? That his kingdom would know no bounds. His majesty would not be relegated to a city. His glory would fill the entire earth, right? So much bigger, so much worked through everything. I keep thinking about that yeast thing. It's visceral. It's so much more than just a pretty palace, right? A kingdom. And not only it would know no, ge- know no geographical bounds. It would not even be limited by ethnic lines, which was also, at the time, they were thinking, oh, we're Jewish, we're going to have our own Jewish king. No, it was way beyond that. His kingdom was way beyond that. Beyond governmental regions, beyond socioeconomic lines, class lines, and even the sinners, thank goodness, were welcome into God's kingdom. This was powerful, and we talk about this kind of thing a lot, how it just so revolutionary changed everything. It's a good reminder. And so while we're talking about governments, I just want to talk a little bit about politics because we're in this season. You can take a deep breath. I'm not going to like, I don't think I'll piss anybody off. But anyway, it's this idea, though, in Christianity has sort of had steam over the years and in certain times and places that if we can just get our guy or our girl into office, then the kingdom of God will be expanded in this way, right? Or if we can just get that person out of office, then finally, like, God's kingdom can, you know, rule here. Well, I will tell you, we have so much history to support the idea that God will move in spite of even an evil king or an evil president, Right? He will move anyway. He is not relegated to our systems of government. And how much hope does this bring us? I mean, come on, you guys watch the debate, right? Like, ah, what is happening? Thank God. The only way I could sit through it was the fact that I was studying this and reading this truth, right? It's so much greater. His kingdom is so much greater. And when he comes, and when heaven is fully realized, and that gap that I was just talking about is closed, He will execute justice perfectly. He will distribute mercy fully. And we will live in peace under his reign forever. Come on. I mean, so as we head into this political season, just go with a smile. (laughs) Go with some peace ultimately, we are going to be okay, right? We are going to be okay. You know, my husband and I, we travel a lot. And I was talking to some friends in Africa, his husband and wife. And over the course of several days, it sort of kind of came out some egregious harm that had been, to, been done to them by local government officials. Here's an example. They cared for orphans, right? And there was a program where if they showed how many orphans they were caring for, da-da-da, they would receive some money. They were supposed to receive about 1000 U.S. dollars 
<clears throat> so she goes, she fills out all the paperwork, she does all the things that she's supposed to do. And she hands over her stuff, and the guy's like, okay, here's this receipt, sign this receipt, and I'll give you the money. He comes back, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have it. I, uh, come back tomorrow, and I'll have more cash. She comes back the next day. Oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't get enough cash. Come back tomorrow, the next day. Never got her money. Never got it. Literally, this man snatched it out of the mouths of, of underprivileged, and when I say underprivileged, we are talking on a whole new level here, children, right? It's so terrible. Same woman, not too long after that, was helping a lady who had given birth, and it was a very traumatic birth, and the woman died, and they blamed it on her. And so they put her in jail, and everybody knew she was in jail unjustly. I mean, it was almost a joke. She was in there for several days, but the guard, right, was like, well, just told her husband, just give me a little bit of money. Like, we'll just, you know, we know she didn't do it, you know, everybody knew, right? And, and so her husband was like, about to give this man money. She was like, do not do it. Do not do it. And I kind of like tried to put myself in that place. I would probably say, give the man the money. Like, you know, like get me out of here to my husband. She would not have it. She stayed, she had an extended stay in jail because of it. But she was pushing back on the corruption that was in her own country. And this is just a reality of it. And I remember talking to them about all these things. And he said, well, I'm glad my first citizenship is in heaven. Oh, guys, if we could just live like that. Um, and then the reality that both of us, our first citizenship was in heaven and not in our respective countries, that reality changes everything. And we will one day fully rejoice in that perfect citizenship, that beautiful citizenship that will be far greater than any kingdom this earth has ever seen. God's kingdom is different. Even Zebedee's mom in Matthew chapter 20, she kind of goes to Jesus and she's like, can one of my sons sit at your right hand and one of my sons sit at your left hand? You remember this story, right? And Jesus drops this right here. This is so good. Are you guys ready for it? It's really good. Okay. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. It's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be first must be a servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This kingdom is way upside down. It is so different. And this is what we are invited into. So where is God's kingdom? <laughs> We're kind of getting into the how now. I admit that. We're getting into the how. It's everywhere. And it first starts in our hearts. Okay? Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the how. Again, we're talking about how Jesus preached the kingdom and he embodied the kingdom, right? And that is how, that is our how too. We are to preach it and to live it. And I really want to challenge us. I know I am challenged this morning. I am so challenged that I need to be preaching the kingdom more. And that can take many forms. But it is so important because we have been charged too, like Christ did 
to preach the good news about the kingdom. Because transformation comes through the knowledge and the revelation of the gospel, the good news about the kingdom, that Jesus is king. And a kneeling heart, right, must occur to receive the kingdom. A kneeling heart toward Christ must take place to receive God's kingdom. And how can this transformation begin if people have not heard the good news about the kingdom? And as we are conformed to the likeness of Jesus, we too become preachers of the gospel, telling people about the kingdom of God. This is where the power is. I've noticed sort of two camps like in Christianity where you have the folks that really focus on the politics, right? This is how God's kingdom comes. And then there's another one, good works. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, not to dismiss it. But I would say that the gospel, the communication of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is even more paramount than good works, although both are necessary. It has to be at some point communicated. People have to hear about this at some point. So us, we preach it like Jesus did, and we also live it or embody it the way Jesus did. And like Christ, we can embody his kingdom through sacrificial love and servant leadership. Okay? And we live the kingdom, we bring the kingdom into our spaces and places of life when we, for instance, do justice in all forms. And I know I was sort of picking on politics a little bit, but I wasn't, I want to be clear that, yes, you can bring the kingdom into politics. And people who are in politics, they can bring the kingdom in there by bringing truth and, and love and kindness and justice into a situation. Uh, We bring God's kingdom when we show mercy, when we feed the hungry, care for the orphan and widow, when we treat the annoying co-workers with kindness, okay, even the ones that are really mean and who are either like hardcore Democrats or hardcore Republicans, whatever's hardest for you to love, and, and we can bless them, right? We can bless them. We bring the kingdom in these types of actions. Even when we sing skidamarinkadinkadink for the 29th time, This morning, with a good attitude, we can bring the kingdom in those moments, right? It's almost this mindset because, again, remember, it's visceral. It's like yeast worked through dough. And we bring the kingdom when we apply godly kingdom principles like honesty and love when we're making critical decisions at work. That is... is Definitely how we can bring God's kingdom in our everyday lives. And it's not relegated to segments of society. You can be in beauty. You can be in food service. You can be in government. You can be in education. We can, no matter what our sort of daily lives look like, we can bring the kingdom in that space. And I know you guys know this because we talk about that a lot here. But I want to remind you, I want you to kind of look at it through the lens of not just being with God, but bringing his kingdom into the places and spaces that you have influence, that you live your life. And really, anytime we say, God, let your kingdom come, remember, it's God's power through his people. God, let your kingdom come in my life. 
And as we pray that, it will begin to be lived out and we will see transformation around us. I believe that with all my heart. I know it. I've seen it. And that is an a thing that we, as we are trained and as we mature, we say, God, more of your kingdom in my life, through my life. Does that sound good? I want to close with just these few thoughts. Again, we're talking about prayer this morning, right? Prayer that is so deep in our hearts that we begin to live it differently. We begin to live our lives differently. So the Lord's Prayer, it kind of, to me, it's sort of broken up into like three sections right? And the beginning, it's all about God. God as our Father, right? His name, His kingdom, His will. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. And that orientation in prayer is crucial for a disciple of Jesus. Um, It's God first, His kingdom, His rule. And in this narcissistic age, if I can call it that, that we find ourselves in, This orientation is so important because everything has sort of become about, you know, my brand, my truth, my comfort, my desires, and all these kingdoms, they are competing against God's, yet they are never winning. They just aren't. So I love the idea in this prayer that we start out with just it's God-focused, and I think, you know, we even sort of arrange our services, our gatherings that way. We just we sing about God, we think about his goodness, we sing about his majesty over and over and over again, and that orientation is very important. And eventually, you know, the prayer gets to give us, lead us, deliver us, forgive us. So it gets there, but we start with Jesus, and then of course it ends with his kingdom, his power and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so I love that orientation, and even chapter 6 of Matthew, where the Lord's Prayer is first introduced in the Bible. The very sort of last section of chapter 6, even its own conclusion says this, and it's verse 33. It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Thank God right? Seek first. Another translation says it. You will have everything you need when you make God's kingdom your primary concern. Jesus prioritizes this, his kingdom for us. And I think that's why it's so important that we pray about it regularly so that it transforms us and that we are reminded of the importance of it. So when you pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, it is an invitation to yourself, from God. It is a request to God, and it is a reminder to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to live the gospel of the kingdom. Let's participate in the expansion of this ever-expanding kingdom by preaching it and living it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that our citizenship is just not here alone. For most of us, that's the United States in this room. But God, that we are a part of your kingdom. Your kingdom, that will know no end. Your kingdom, whose glory is ever expanding. Whose justice and mercy are executed perfectly. 
God, help us to walk into the reality of your kingdom, your kingdom that is here and your kingdom that will fully be revealed one day. God, give us strength through these prayers. God, give us teeth to sink, just to sink into your kingdom come so that we may preach your good news and, God, that we may live out your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for everyone here, Lord. Fill our hearts with the hope and the peace of your kingdom today. Lord, we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.